So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open it to John chapter 14. John 14. When I was a senior in high school, which contrary to what many of you might think was not last year, (laughs) that was a whopping 15 years ago actually, but when I was a senior in high school, I was on the basketball team, I finally made varsity just because I was a senior. And our coach thought it would be a good idea to take the basketball team and take us to the football field to run on the track. And he thought, until you all run a mile in six minutes or less, we will not get to do the fun things that we do every practice. Now, this only lasted two weeks because only one person was able to do it. We were short-distance runners. We weren't long-distance runners. And this only lasted two weeks. But I'll never forget... A guy named Justin, he was a year behind me. He ran it in six minutes or less the first time. Five and a half minutes, actually. And Justin thought it would be a good idea to run it. He was already excused. Once you did it, you were excused. Justin thought it would be a good idea to just keep doing it. He thought it was encouraging us, when really he wasn't. Just making us angry and jealous. Well, Justin decided that he would expand the way he encouraged and really focus and hone in on me. I'll never forget, Justin used to say, Nate, it's only six minutes of your life. Just do it. He would even text me, Nate, it's only six minutes of your life. Just do it. I started to wonder if Justin was sponsored by Nike. (laughs) Um, It's only six minutes of your entire life. You can just do it. He even went even further and said, Nate, if you run with me the whole time and then run a little faster than me, you can run it faster than me. You can run the mile faster than me. In fact, you can run it better than I can. You can run it faster than I can. You can be a better runner than me. I used to think that was absurd. Justin was built as a runner. He was a good basketball player, but he was a good runner. He just had the the fitness for it. His body was built to do that. Mine wasn't. I was slow. I was a slow, short-distance runner. And I just thought for, for Justin to tell me that, Nate, you can be a better runner than me, was ridiculous because I knew I couldn't. And I believed I couldn't. To me, it was impossible. Well, in our text today, Jesus is essentially saying the the same thing to you and me today. He says, you will do even greater things than I did. Greg alludes to these verses in John 14, verses 12 through 14 in his book. I want to dig deeper into what God is really saying about what it means to pray in Jesus' name. John 14, I'm going to start in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus Christ, the Son of of God says to his disciples and he says this to you and to me today you will do even greater things than I did now I don't know about you but I've often wondered how in the world is that possible it's been a struggle for me as a Christian to understand how could we do greater things than Jesus look at all the miracles that Jesus did in his ministry the people that he healed he would speak and people would be healed. He would speak 
and raging storms would stop. Jesus raised people from the dead. He literally raised people from physical death to life. How could I do greater things than Jesus? How can I be greater than Jesus? He's God. And are we greater than God? Of course not. No servant is greater than his master, Jesus says in John 13. And that's who we are, right? We are Jesus' servants. We are servants of Christ. But Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. No, that's not it though. In fact, he goes a little bit further. He says, he will do even greater things than these. So what if Jesus isn't talking about greater things in the sense of more sensational, more powerful, better even? But rather, what if Jesus is talking in magnitude? What if we're not thinking greater things in terms of quality, but rather in quantity? You know that saying, quality over quantity? We really want to focus on our quality rather than quantity? Well, think about that saying, but in the reverse. Quantity over quality. Because I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's not that we'll do more powerful, more spectacular things than Jesus did, but rather we will do even more than what Jesus was able to do. In fact, we have the potential to accomplish more than Jesus actually did in his earthly ministry. And so now maybe you're thinking, Nate, that is absurd. That's a bold statement. But think about it. Jesus uses language like this. It is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Doesn't that seem crazy? I don't know about you, but I oftentimes when I read the scriptures, put myself into the story. So I'm imagining myself as I'm studying this as a disciple over 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And Jesus is telling me, Nate and the rest of you disciples, you're going to do greater things than I did. It's actually going to be better for you that I leave. Because I would be thinking, no, it's not. You're awesome. You're Jesus. You heal people. You calm the storms. You raise the dead. You, you touch and speak and people's lives are better. You make the religious leaders look bad. They're so aggressive with the law and you put them in their place. How could it be better for you to be gone and without us? Who's the counselor though? It's the advocate. It's the peacemaker. It's the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says that will, he's talking about you and me, will do greater things than he, it's only because he's going to the Father. Jesus says in John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, for he lives in you and will be with you. Or he lives with you or will, and will be in you. It's when... Jesus left his disciples that he promised to give them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in us. The very presence of the living God indwells us as his followers. So think about this. It isn't just one person, Jesus, who possesses the Holy Spirit, but a multitude of people who possess the Spirit of the living God. And if Christ lives in you, if you've repented of sin 
if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior and been baptized, you have been filled with the Spirit of the living God. Which means you are the anyone Jesus is referring to in verse 12. Anyone who has faith in me will do even greater things than I. So maybe you're thinking, well, Nate, I've never actually raised anybody from the dead. And last time I checked, the Scriptures tell me that Jesus raised people from the dead. How can I do greater things than he did? But That's okay, by the way, if you haven't raised anybody from the dead, because I'm not suggesting you go into the local cemetery and start walking up and down the roads where tombstones are and asking the dead to rise in Jesus' name. But we can't limit the miracles of God to only the physical. God is spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead raised us to spiritual life. And here's something that we need to know. Maybe some of you don't know this. You haven't yet realized this in your own life. Anyone can accomplish the will of God through the power of God if they have the Spirit of God living in them. And through His church, Jesus is making disciples of all the nations. His will is being accomplished. And millions of people have been raised to new life through His Spirit. Think about Jesus in His earthly ministry. Jesus never went outside of a hundred mile radius. That's the distance from Dallas to Waco. So when Jesus says that we'll do even greater things than He did, He means we'll accomplish more in His name than He was able to accomplish. Even more people will be saved through the Gospel. Even more people will turn from death to life. More people will be healed of brokenness. More people will find joy instead of despair. More people will find greater purpose in their life. They will experience what the God of the universe says about them. That they are beautiful. That they are wonderfully made in His image. The image of God. More people will overcome their anxiety more people will experience life in abundance. And more people will have peace that passes all understanding. Jesus Christ Himself will touch more people's lives. Will save more people from their sins all across the globe today than He ever could have in His earthly life. Because His disciples, you and me, are filled with the same Spirit that Jesus was filled with. So when Jesus says, we will do even greater things than He did, it's because He was going to the Father. And He sent His Spirit to live inside His people. And by God's grace and through His Holy Spirit, multitudes of Christians have expanded throughout the ages and have taken the Gospel to the ends of the earth. And until Christ returns, as Scripture promises, His work continues and we must pray towards that end. So what does it really mean to pray in Jesus' name? And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What you believe and what you know about God will ultimately affect the way you pray. What you believe and know about God will ultimately determine your prayer life. So there's two things that I want to establish based on what Jesus says in these verses to help us really grasp and understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. The first one is, it's not about you. 
To pray in Jesus' name is not about you. This isn't a genie that we're coming to asking whatever we want and then tacking on Jesus' name at the end of it. Like Greg mentions in his book, this isn't wanting a Ferrari or a nice house that you don't need and then tacking on Jesus' name at the end of it and then waiting in expectation. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to His will. To pray according to His character, to His nature. What does Jesus want to see happen in this church? What does Jesus want to see happen in your life? Because praying in Jesus' name is for the sole purpose of glorifying God. I will do anything you ask in my name, Jesus says. Why? So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. One thing that you need to know, and this might be the first time you're hearing this in your Christian life, but one thing we all need to know is that God is zealous for His own glory. God is zealous for His own glory. In our prayer life, however long it is, however often we pray, and the kinds of prayers we pray, whether they're extreme and bold, it will be a response to what we believe and know about God and His Word. If we believe that praying in Jesus' name isn't about us, but about for the glory of God, then the extreme prayers that we do pray will be for the sole purpose of exalting Christ. But we have to get past ourselves in everyday Christian life. We have to get past ourselves and realize that Christianity is not about us. Christianity is not about you. It never has been and it never will be about you. It's not about one person or one race or one culture or one ethnic group. It's about God. And when we understand and realize that for ourselves, then we will actually begin to honor God with our prayers and glorify Him with our lives. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want in your life to exalt the supremacy of Christ? He must increase. I must decrease. Isn't that how you want to live your life? For the exaltation of Jesus? I want to give you a passage. It's from the Old Testament by the prophet Isaiah. Just to give you evidence of how God feels about His glory. Isaiah 48, verses 9-11. through 11. For my own namesake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I hold it back from you so as to not destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. For my own sake, God says, for the sake of my praise, for my own sake, for my own sake, how should my name be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. The ultimate goal of God is to uphold and display the glory of His own name. This is biblical truth, and that's biblical Christianity. The ultimate goal of God is to uphold and display the glory of His own name. This is not about you, and it's not about me. So maybe you're thinking, all right, Nate, well, that's the Old Testament. That's an Old Testament Scripture. That's an Old Testament God. We live in the New Testament with a New Testament God and His name is Jesus. And if that's the way you think, you're wrong. God isn't quite like that anymore, Nate. Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
the Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Peter writes, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So when you realize in your Christian life that praying in Jesus' name isn't about you, but for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God and exalting the Son of God, our prayers and your, your prayers will look a lot different. And the prayers of God's people will sound a lot different. That's number one. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It's not about you. Number two, to pray in Jesus' name means it requires faith. It requires faith. Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Now your version may say, anyone who be- in, in your Bible may say, anyone who believes in me. Now don't mistake that for a simple belief in God. The Greek word here, the implication is complete trust. I entrust all to Him. I completely and fully trust Him. Which means you fully and completely trust God and what He says in His Word. When Jesus was comforting His disciples at the beginning of this chapter, preparing them for when He's going to leave, He says this in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. You know the disciples had every reason to trust Jesus? They had every reason to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They saw the miracles. They sat under his teaching. They gained from his wisdom. How could they possibly deny the deity of Jesus? How could they deny the fact that Jesus was the anointed one, the promised king, the son of God? God in the flesh. Being there with him, how could they deny it? Yet some of them did doubt, didn't they? Some of the disciples doubted greatly. You could even say they all did. Jesus' last night with his disciples, he's preparing his disciples for what life will look like when he's gone. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Where I am going, you cannot come. You know the place where I am going. Well, there's this guy named Thomas for all of eternity has been penned as doubting Thomas. Thomas's response to what Jesus just said is this, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Show us the way. So how can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, Thomas you would know my father as well. Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted. In fact, in the very same conversation, Philip pipes in, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus responds with, I believe is such a powerful question. And I also believe that God is asking this question to some people in this room right now. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you such a long time, Don't you know me? Jesus says to his disciple. Thomas and Philip had been with Jesus for three years. They saw the miracles. They were there when Jesus spoke these words, I am the resurrection and the life, and they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they doubted. You know what we do as 
American Christians, we often, as we read the Scriptures, think that we would never doubt if we were there. There's no way we would ever doubt if we were physically there with Jesus. How could they doubt after what they saw, after what they heard? How could they doubt? I would never doubt. It would just be obvious to me. He's God, and I would never doubt that. But you have to, you have to understand, they were human beings. They were broken. They were imperfect. They were flawed human beings, just like us. But listen to what Jesus said. This is to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Now Jesus has made it clear. He is the resurrection and the life. And because you have seen me, he says, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever doubt? I know I do. Do you ever doubt the power of God? Do you ever doubt God's word? When you pray, do you ever doubt whether or not he will actually hear, whether he will actually listen and hear you. Do you ever doubt God? Because the disciples did. And Jesus was so graceful to them. He was so gracious. And my prayer for us this morning is that Jesus, as he comforted and confirmed to his disciples that he was, in fact, worthy of their trust, my prayer has been that that would be the same for us for all of us, that God is worthy of our trust, our complete trust, so that when we pray extreme and bold prayers in Jesus' name, we can know that we can trust Him to hear and to answer, knowing that He is faithful to answer our prayers for the glory of His own name. God wants to show off His glory, and He wants to do it through you. How amazing is that? What if we were to pray like that? Knowing God wants to show off His glory and He wants to do it through us. How incredible is that? So Jesus asks this probing question. And I believe Jesus is asking this question to someone or some people in this room this morning. Don't you know me? Don't you know me? Some of you have been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive. And the God of the universe is speaking now saying, don't you know me even after I've been with you such a long time? Because to know Jesus is to trust Him. To know Jesus is to trust Him. And to trust Him is to trust in His nature, in His character. And so who is He? Who is Jesus? Jesus is saying to us this morning, reminding us that He is faithful to answer and worthy of our trust. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who speaks through burning bushes. I'm the God who shuts the mouths of lions. I'm the God who brings out the shepherd boy David out of the sheep pen and cuts off the head of Goliath. I'm the God who walks on water. I'm the God who calms raging storms, tells them to stop and they do. I'm the God who heals people. I'm the God who raises the dead. I'm the God who redeems. I'm the God who restores. I'm the God who saves. My name is Jesus, and that's my name. That's what His name means. To save. You want to pray the will of God in Jesus' name? Know that you are praying for His will to be done. His will is to save those who are lost. And I believe what God is saying is, am I not worthy of your trust? Don't you know me? 
Do you have faith in me? Because your prayer life and my prayer life will reveal how much we really know and believe about Jesus. Is your Jesus in a box? Because if your Jesus is in a box, your prayer life will reflect that. So Jesus himself is saying to all of us this morning, this is what he's saying, I will answer prayers in my name according to his own nature and according to his character. It's not about us, it's about God. But I thought God was for me and I thought God loves me and God is for you and God does love you. But would you actually rather God be zealous for your glory? What a world we would live in if God was zealous for our glory. If the whole universe revolved around me or you. What a catastrophe that would be if God was zealous for the glory of men. So how can we bring glory to our God through praying in Jesus' name? Well, what's the character of God? What does Jesus long to see happen in our church? What does Jesus want to do through your life? What does His Word say? Greg says in his book, Pray that God would use your life to connect the Word of God to the souls of people. He says, when we pray for God's kingdom to fill this earth, we attract the full zeal of heaven. Maybe you didn't know that. But when we pray extreme prayers in Jesus' name, we are asking for heaven to invade this earth. And you know what can stop heaven? Nothing. So church, when we pray together at home with your families, you pray kingdom-oriented prayers that revolve around the glory of God and His will. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You could take that verse and pray that prayer every day for the rest of your life. God, your word says you desire everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. May that be so. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You could pray that verse every single day for the rest of your life. God, be patient with us. Have mercy on us. Lead people to repentance and faith in Christ. God, give people a heart to know you. Pray that every day. I've been praying that prayer every day. God, give people a heart to know you that you would be their God and they would be your people. God, give them a heart to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. And let it be so. And you walk away confidently knowing that God is zealous for his own glory. And it delights him to answer our prayers that are according to his will. I want to end by sharing this story about a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was a pastor and a preacher and evangelist, missionary in the 1800s. He was born in Germany, but most of his ministry and his life was spent in Bristol, England. He started what I think even up, if you compare it to today, is the largest orphanage that even existed. George Mueller and his ministry cared for, housed, clothed, fed over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. An important thing to know about George Mueller is he was a man of faith and of steadfast prayer. He truly relied on God for everything. I highly recommend you to read his book called Answers to Prayer by George Mueller. He recorded hundreds of his prayers that God answered. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry. He never took out a loan and he was never in debt and his orphans were never hungry. They were never hungry. He never took a salary. George Mueller prayed that God would fill the hearts of men to give him what he needed. 
I remember a story reading in his book. Him and his family sat down to have a picnic. They had plates, they had silverware, but they were flat broke and they had no food. The table was set. All that was missing was the food. And they prayed, just like we pray before we eat. God bless our meal. Bless our food. In Jesus' name. Well, George Mueller did that without food on the table. That takes faith. Just so happened that, just so happened that, a stagecoach was driving by on a nearby road going into town. It broke down, had a bunch of food in that stagecoach. They couldn't get it fixed. The food was going to go bad, and they had to give it away. Well, it just so happened that the Mueller family was having a picnic. And so God provided, because God provides. And if you believe that, then you can trust Him that He will answer prayers in Jesus' name. The chief passion and unifying aim of George Mueller's ministry in life was this, to live a life and lead a ministry in a way that proves God is real, God is trustworthy, and God answers prayers. And Hillcrest, may that be so for us. May that be the passion and the heart behind this church and the ministry that we do together. This is not a one-man show. This is a family-oriented place. We all come together asking God to answer prayers in Jesus' name, knowing that He's worthy of our trust and will answer for the glory of His own great name. So church, when we pray, let's do it. Let's do it in a way that would show our God is real. That He is alive. That He is trustworthy. And that He answers prayers in Jesus' name. I want to pray over you. and After I do that, I want to invite anyone to come up. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you and pray for you. That's the heartbeat of the church. To come alongside one another and to pray for each other. And if you're new here and I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you just outside these doors. I'll be waiting. If you have any questions about baptism, what it means to become a follower of Jesus, I would love to have a conversation with you, but I want you to know that the direction that we're moving in as a church, we are making this place a house of prayer. And we will fall, and we will make mistakes because we're human, but our God is faithful, our God is good, and our God answers prayers in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you all. Father in heaven, I thank you for what Jesus says in this text. This is not a text that was written 2,000 years ago and has no meaning for us today. It is alive and active right now. And it is speaking to the hearts of your people. And God, I am so thankful that you are faithful to your word. And God, I am thankful that you love your children. I am thankful, God, that we are not alone in this world that we have You, our Father in Heaven, who is good and loving and kind and gracious and patient with us when we so desperately need patience. God, have mercy on us when we fall short. Redirect our steps. Lead us into righteousness. Give us favor in Your eyes. And God, as we begin to make this a house of prayer, Lord, I pray that You would Open up the heavens and rain down your blessing and power on your people so that the glory of Christ may be preached and that the lost would be found. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.